You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi C. Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as possible. And Sam, Sam Rosenberg, is kind enough to join us. If you missed the last show, go back and listen. We talked about Sam's uh, charity platform that he's very involved in. Um, and I've known Sam. We've we've been friends for years. years. Yeah. yeah, years, years. We have mutual friends. We talk about our charities and my school and stuff. And I, I don't want to say now is the perfect time because it's not really a good time because of what's going on, of course, in Ukraine. But um, I know Sam has a lot of feelings. Sam is you're from Ukraine, right? Are oh, you? Yeah. Sam is from Ukraine. Obviously, he's now in America. He even is sporting his T-shirt. That I can't read the whole thing. I may live in America, but was made in Ukraine. I guess those are Ukraine colors, but it's an American flag. Okay, all, all good. So I, I, I thought it was important with all the things happening in Ukraine in the last um, show. We did talk. We touched on it. We more than touched on it. Sam's feelings about America, about Ukraine. And we're going to try to get into as much stuff that, uh, again, we're not going to get into blow by blow, who's winning and who's fighting and why they're fighting. Maybe we will, but probably not. But almost more important, especially because this is the season of Purim, of, of really why we should be engaged. So let's, um, let's bring it back. So you're from Ukraine. Your wife is from Russia. St. Petersburg. St. Petersburg. Okay, so you're both involved, and you grew up in what—Ukraine's a big country— I grew up in the western part of Ukraine, a city called Lviv, which is where currently the United States Embassy is at, because they relocated it from, well, a lot of countries relocated it either into Poland or to western part of Ukraine, Lviv. So, so, and as for those that are drawing a map in their mind, it's how close to Poland? It's 40 kilometers or so. Oh, so it's very close it's, to Poland. Yeah, 40, yeah. Right. So, and, was, and okay. all the fighting, I mean, people watching the maps all the time, that's really... Way northwest part of Ukraine is northwest, and you're nowhere near the 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 sea either. Then for that price, correct. Okay, yeah. fine. So your relatives are in that are in that part of Ukraine, or they're all over. My two aunts and their families, uh, they're in that part of the Ukraine. We do have close friends. My classmate, who is in Kiev, who is uh, a retired general, who is running the territorial defense forces, or he's an active leader in the territorial defense forces. And uh, I do have a very close family friend that lives in Kharkiv uh, that they're not able to evacuate because of the older parents, and uh, they're in terrible shape. They're fortunate to be alive. And that is, I have friends involved with a joint. One of the difficulties is people that are older, as they cannot just get up and leave. They, they really are stuck at home. The evacuation trains that were running daily, now they're not even daily, from Kharkiv, it's standing room only. One of the women is in a wheelchair. Uh, the man, is, even though not in a wheelchair, he's not able to stand 20 hours on the train. 
so they just can't get out. And right now, the, their mental state is such that they can't. That even if they were able, physically able to, they just don't want to. They're shell shocked. It's it's a combination of food, water deprivation, light deprivation, shell shock. You name it, you got it. It's a, it's very terrible. It's a very difficult situation. It's terrible. Are you able? Do you speak to? I mean, can you communicate with? with we we use WhatsApp and Telegram, uh, social uh, networks to communicate with them. Uh, they do have power. What normally they do, they somebody comes in every couple of days to drop off food and they give some batteries to them and they charge their phones. Wow! 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 Amazing. So, uh, so we were talking as something that we we said we're going to get back into, which is really fascinating. And and I, I'm not saying anything people don't know. In World War II, when the Nazis came in, so and there were a lot of Jews that lived in Ukraine. I mean, I don't know the numbers, but um, the stories they tell the Ukrainians were were were. I don't want to say just as bad, but the Ukrainians were bad. And I was the Jews Terrible. suffered terribly. They rounded them up, and there may be people, especially connected or had relatives that lived in Ukraine. They don't have the greatest memories, um, to say the least, of Ukraine. Would they? Do, do the Ukrainian people has something changed from what they were 70, 80 years ago to today? Has something changed? Yes, I think they're tremendous. It's not just 70, 80 years ago. You have to. You can go back a hundred. You know, Fiddler on the Roof, the theme music of the, of the the that we start the show with, is in Ukraine. The reason, the whole idea is the pogroms. That's 115, 120 years ago. Uh, prior to that, uh, Badan Khmelnytsky, the you know the greatest Ukrainian leader that ever that made Ukraine the largest that it's ever been. You know, there were Ukrainians that were uh, Jews that were killed in Ukraine. I think. Every country has dark past with Jews. Uh, Ukraine has darker than most, and maybe maybe more incidents. But in the last seventy years, well, first of all, the Soviet the Soviet Union, the existence of the Soviet Union didn't help. The Soviet Union intentionally uh, flamed up anti-Semitism. They uh, exported Jewish communist leaders into the places where are most likely to have unrest. Uh, Ukraine, uh, the Baltic states, uh, Poland, uh, to continue the flame of anti-Semitism. Uh, it worked. Uh, you know, I personally experienced it, uh, humiliated, physically hit uh, as a Jew because I was a Jew. Um, finally, we left, uh, lived in, in America for a long time until f I finally felt comfortable enough to go back and visit my friends. My father is buried there in Ukraine, in Lviv. My grandfather was killed during World War II. Uh, I lost many other relatives during World War II, relatives I don't know. Um, but so when I came there in 2006 for the first time since 78 when I left, I, I you know, I, I was not wearing a kippah. I'm not an Orthodox person. But I did visit the synagogue and I spoke to Rabbi Bald who told me that, I asked him, like, you know, how do you feel, you know, he's he, he Orthodox Jew, and he certainly looks like an Orthodox Jew, and he told me he was very comfortable. Now, the anti-Semitism were except, you know, exceptional cases, uh, and they were certainly not state-sponsored, and they were certainly illegal, 
and the police certainly paid attention. So that showed me that although there is still human aspect and people are all kind of people, uh, that was not taken seriously. What I'm saying is it wasn't socially acceptable anymore. Um, in fact, <laughs> long story, we don't have the time for that, but there was a little funny story where he was called an anti-Semite because uh, during the Shemitah he didn't want to buy oranges that came from Israel. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that becomes a religious question, not an anti-Semitic The, the, the seller question. didn't know that. Oh, okay, the seller right. just knew that, that the oranges from Israel. The rabbi asked if they were from Israel, and, she, and he said, "No, I, I, I don't want to buy them." So she thought he didn't want to buy. She didn't know that there was a one in the seven year. Right, right. She just she just thought he didn't want to buy them because he didn't like Jews. <laughs> wow. So you said something very interesting. You talk about state sponsored or not socially acceptable. What ha- would you do? You have an idea what happened or when? Really, is what I'm curious. When all of a sudden people felt it's not acceptable and let the Jews live their life and we'll live our lives and everyone's moving along and obviously led to the point where the president there, who's hiding somewhere, but he doesn't seem to be hiding, he seems to be all over the place, um, is Jewish, the the, uh, Ukrainian president. Um, How, why, when? I'm not an anthropologist nor a psychologist nor a uh, a scholar of any sort. I only have a bachelor's degree in economics for that matter. But I, uh, so after the fall of the Soviet Union, every country that was created as a result of that was filled with corruption, with uh, theft, with uh, oligarchs who all of a sudden start owning things that are not imaginable, i.e. the entire oil industry of a country is all of a sudden gets controlled by one person. The entire furniture industry, the entire candy-making industry, the entire whatever, the director that was in charge of it for the government all of a sudden happens to own it. So therefore, it took a long time for this corruption and this to, to stabilize, to somehow people get to understand it. And uh, throughout... And until 2014, when the Maidan, the, the revolution in Ukraine, democratic revolution, for to, to pretty much get off the Soviet bandwagon and let's be a democratic nation. One of the things about democracy is the whole idea is let's start it fresh because they never experienced it before. So maybe they went the extreme end, the other way. You know, yeah, we, we hated Jews, maybe we should love Jews now. I don't know. Uh, but I think what happened over the period of time, they recognized that being pro-Western, being pro-democratic is actually not a bad thing. So when they had this comedian, uh, a very bright, eloquent uh, Vlad, uh, you know, present himself, I watched all the shows, Servant of the People. It's hilarious. He's very entertaining. And, uh, you know, they said, who cares that he's Jewish? He, he is an outsider. He wants to fight the corruption. The fact that he's Jewish is irrelevant. And maybe the fact that he's Jewish is even better because Jews were always discriminated against. They were always picked at. Maybe he'll fight that. Maybe he'll make sure. And, you know, it's not just Jews, by the way. The, 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 the LBGTQ community, is, is, it's open in Ukraine. There's no laws against or for it necessarily, unlike Russia. 
the all minorities, you know, there's plenty of Kazakhs and Georgians and uh, there are black students over there. Recently, we've seen in Russian propaganda in flames it where you know, so they evacuate the Indian and the black students are getting pushed off the trains and all this other stuff. It still exists among the individuals. It is not state-sponsored or state-tolerated or state-supported. So we can either flame it or we can say it's a no-no, let's do better. And I think Ukraine figured that out, and that's why they're doing it. Ukraine was also on the upswing. When I said it in the earlier show, it seems to me that when the countries are on the upswing in terms of freedom, democracy, uh, the lifestyle, the, the level of uh, uh, comfort, and all kinds of civil liberties, all that stuff, the, the rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, all people do better. And people worry about buying an extra TV instead of hating somebody. When the country is in a decline, where there's bickering and there's less, there's more social unrest, usually minorities suffer. America being the perfect example of that. We didn't have synagogue burning 10, 20 years ago in America. We do have now. That's unheard of. So I'm not sure why, but it's it a, is. It's an interesting thought because if you actually look at, at all these different countries, um, Netanyahu's father wrote a book about Spain. Mm-hmm. In the 1300s, 1400s, it's it's very long, and I'm not looking that uh, I'm sending you to read it. It's a little bit boring because it's just it's too big and too long for those of us who don't have so much patience to read. I read it. It was in my bathroom. It took months, <laughs> but <laughs> I could read a few pages a day. But it was fascinating, where that many countries, certainly in the Middle Ages, and but even before, the countries seemed to need the Jews. To, to help them get out of their poverty. They became the merchants. They weren't automatically landowners. They weren't allowed to be landowners. In Spain, the problem was they became the tax farmers or the tax collectors. So they're lifting up the economy. They're helping the government become wealthier and the country overall, or at least the top of the country, become wealthier. And then once that's in place, then you all of a sudden had jealousy of the everybody else saying, how come all the Jews are? That's for sure happened in Spain. Um, it happened in multiple countries. So on the way up, so my country's getting built up. I'm just, I'm, I'm getting whatever level of freedom each different country had. And then when they hit that top, they basically said, all right, we're done with the Jews. And pogroms, throw them out of the country, expulsions, whatever it was historically. And then a lot of those countries collapsed because that was a jealousy-motivated um, uh, expulsion, expunging, whatever you wanna, whatever you wanna call it. So it is an interesting thought that Ukraine is trying to lift itself up, and now all of a sudden they're going through this invasion. I think that's a pretty fair word. Somebody said one of the social medias doesn't let war. Can't use the word war. I don't remember which one. This one is over. But it's yes, a, it's a war. It's a war, and it's an invasion, and. And it's, again, it's an interesting, we talked about it on the last show, and I have different friends, and you were talking about it also, where that they're heavily involved in fundraising, but you were troubled that the fundraising is focused to help Jews get out, to help, whether it's families, whether it's relatives, whether it's just somebody Jewish, you have all these, again, quote-unquote Jewish organizations helping people out, and you felt that the 
it, the Ukrainians are all suffering, right? It, we didn't hear anybody saying that there is a national fundraising to help everybody who's suffering. So, what's your take on that? I'm just it was a, we talked that we touched it, but we didn't talk about it. Right. So, I think it's extremely important for Jews to support all causes, just causes, especially just causes. Not necessarily natural disasters and all this. There's not, it's not a matter of injustice. But when justice is at stake, when fairness, when democracy is at stake, I think it's more important for us than others. Maybe I'm just holding us to our higher standards. I was going to ask you, why do you think maybe, that? I don't know, because maybe I like Hebrew national hot dogs. I'm not okay. sure. <laughs> That's fine. Um, because I hold myself to a higher standard and I'm a Jew. Um, so... That's one thing. So as you were saying, when the country needs help, after it's done, the success is punished, sort of. Right. And that's exactly what's happening. Ukraine was being successful, and it's being punished for that. So how is it different than the Jews being punished after, when they were being successful? So it's, 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 anti, it's, it's people, group of people, they happen to be Ukrainian, with whom we have a very long connection are being prosecuted because they're successful. So you think the reason, and I, I, I don't myself know reasons, I'm not that political, but you believe that, that because Ukraine is being so successful in lifting itself out of its... I mean, it, it's, And joining the world order outside the Russian sphere of influence. So the Russian near abroad, which is the way of saying their Monroe Doctrine, equivalent of their Monroe Doctrine, is all of a sudden they're losing influence over it. They already lost it over the Baltic states. They already lost it over all this. And all of a sudden, this last vesture between them and Western Europe is becoming a normal nation all of a sudden. It's, it's threatening to them. I, I don't know what threat Ukraine ever presented. They certainly have a lot of propaganda about Ukraine developing all kinds of nuclear weapons and chemical weapons, such garbage. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to swear on, on, on a show with a rabbi here, but it's garbage. And, uh, and, 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 and that creates a sense of unfairness. And, and I think it's up to us as old people, especially Jews, because if we don't do the right thing, the history will judge us not only not being on the right side of history or being on the right side of history, but not being fully vested. You know, there's a there's a, uh, a joke. It's certainly not a kosher joke, but they said there's two types of commitments being made to make somebody's breakfast. There's the commitment of a chicken, the commitment of a pig. You know, the, those that <laughs> eat, yeah, eat bacon. Right. So we're making a chicken's commitment today to the to this fight. Uh, Ukrainians are making the pig's commitment to this to this fight, but the fight is for the, all of us. It's for our values. It's for our you know, uh, uh, it's, it's for who we are. Forget about the, the future expansion into Moldova or potentially Poland or something like that. Forget about the threat of the nuclear war because if they feel that they can get away with it, why wouldn't they take Poland next? If we don't do anything now, why should we do anything about Poland? Yeah, there's much larger Polish population than Ukrainian population in America. But the risks are higher now. So if we didn't stop them now, the next step just has higher escalation clauses. So I don't know. It just it worries me that we're just – to include the Jewish community, we're seeing this just like another – 
Hurricane Katrina or some other you know, attack on, from Gaza. It is not an existential threat. It's a problem. Of course it's a problem. It's, of course it's terrible. But in my email that I wrote to many people, this is 1948 for Israel. This is 1963 for Israel. The threat is existential. You don't have for existential, for U- I think is right. right. I you don't have for Ukraine. No, you don't have, this Ukraine. is Ukraine's 48, 67, 72. 73, 73 I'm yeah. sorry. It is. It is Ukraine's that. You know, well, for the rest of it, it's inconvenience. And if and I and I will just try the world, or at least my little part of the world, Detroit community, or the Jewish Ukrainian community within Detroit Metro, to take it a little differently. So what would you like? What would you like the, for example, the Ukrainian community, the Jewish? What would you like people to do? To do. So the first thing I would like them to do is approach their local leaders and start renaming streets. We have, a, in the West, very short history, uh, memory for what happens. In, once this is over and Ukraine is going to be under the Russian thumb and there's going to be a civil war going on there for many, many years, we will forget about it until there's another storm or another whatever, and, we, and, you know, and we, we'll go on with our lives. Let's create landmarks that keep the memory alive of this unfairness. Let's create street names, parks, named after Ukrainian cities, Ukrainian leaders, because it will keep that in our memory. If our kids ask us, why is this street named this? I'm not saying we should rename Washington Boulevard and remove George Washington's name from the street. No, but we have streets that have absolutely no logic behind their name or no civil impact. Let's start renaming names. Let's reach out and find the Ukrainian members in our community and reach out to them and see how we can help them. Let's find not just Ukrainian. There's a million Ukrainians in the United States. There's almost four million Russian speakers like myself. Just because we are Russian speakers, it doesn't make us Russian. My wife is more Ukrainian today than she ever been, than I am. I mean, she, she can't stand anything that, I mean, she, she speaks Russian. The fact that she speaks Russian has nothing to do with anything. Find them, find the four million people that live here. Help them out. Help find what they're supporting and support it with them. Show solidarity. Show unity. Demand that entertainment industry. How come there's no concerts? You know, you know, USA for Africa. There's a variety of different concerts. Wonderful causes. I don't see any celebrities donating a ton of money. But money right now doesn't buy lives back. So show solidarity and keep the memory alive. So this doesn't just evaporate into the history. And if I, so if I keep the memory alive in history of what's going on, so that will do, will that help, how will that help me in the future? Will it make me a better person? Will at least next time I won't let it happen? What will it do for me? Next time there's Crimea, do something about it then, before it becomes World War III. Let's put out the fires before they become existential in nature. Because that's where we are today. This is not over. If we let Putin win, and even if Ukraine wins, Putin, it's a lose-lose. Right now, this war is a lose-lose for everybody to include us. Because of the, the, what, the destruction that's going on over there? There will be no clear victory. And, and when there is no clear victory, it's a lose-lose proposition. Vietnam, you've, any recent war that you study, 
once Middle East, right. Afghanistan. There's no victory. It's it's a lose lose. The Vietnam, Afghanistan lost. We lost lives, treasure. It's, it's lack of clear victory is unforgivable to the leaders that put lives at stake. Because it's a because of the waste of lives. Waste of lives. It's a waste of lives, and we're doing this for good reasons to prevent loss of lives. But that's that's not leadership. That's chicken poop. Aha. But it's, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes we just wonder. We sit here, I, I think about it all the time. I sit here in my class, I have my class. You know, one of the things we do in my class, we have prayers every day for what's going on in Ukraine. What can I do? I don't know if I can do anything, I told the kids. I said, but at least you need to know that something's going on and you should pray for them. At least that, at least that. And I would keep you longer, but the music is playing and we keep <laughs> it short and sweet. But thank you again, Sam. I do really appreciate your time. Thank you, of course, our wonderful sponsor listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our production team. We had David Sisko and Andy in the back. I will listen to Food Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build. Every room inside is filled.